there. You're listening to episode number two of the Estranged Heart Podcast, and I'm your host, Creed Revere. If this is your first time here, welcome. Thanks for checking us out. And if you are a returning listener, thanks for tuning back in. We're so glad you're here. Please consider subscribing to the podcast so that you'll know when a new episode drops. I can let you know that in the future there will be um, additional short mini episodes that will drop um, sporadically and not on Sundays. And so by subscribing to the podcast, you'll um, be in the know when those mini episodes drop. For now, I invite you to settle in with a cup of coffee or tea and an open heart and uh, tune in and listen to my estrangement story. Before we begin, I want to quickly review our disclaimers. Um, I record these podcast episodes in my home, which is in the city, and I share it with dogs. Um, This means you're apt to hear background noise as evidence of life being lived. Number two, we uh, embrace messy here. Um, That means things like ums and a curse word or two and prolonged silences and a stumbling over words are likely to happen. And I'm not apt to edit those out. I think it's important for the world at large to see us as we are, and that is imperfect human beings. And number three, I am not a therapist or a counselor. Nothing within this podcast should be considered or taken as therapy. If you are in need of therapeutic support, such as counseling, please seek out a therapist near you. At the start of each episode, I like to begin with a quote. Today, I have two. The first one. The universe nestles strange jewels within us all and then stands back to see if we can find them. Elizabeth Gilbert. The second one. Every painful relationship is a wake-up call to your authentic truth to your inner alliance, to your greater alignment. Basically, it's here to wake you up to you. Dr. Shafali Tesberry. This episode will be about my own estrangement story. Um, I contemplated discussing both my estrangement and my reconciliation in one episode. However, um, I felt that they both required... Um, significant details and explanations and I felt it would just be entirely way too long for one episode so I I have um, I've split them up so this episode will be about my estrangement journey and um, in episode number three will cover my reconciliation journey there are two uh, caveats to today's episode um, and Um, my estrangement story. Um, The first one is, this is my story. It's not yours. There will be parts that you will not recognize, will not be able to relate to, etc. However, it doesn't mean that what I experienced is wrong or any worse than or, or less worse than yours. It is simply mine. Number two 
is I respect my adult children and they are the owners of their stories. As such, there will be parts of my story that intertwines with theirs that I will not disclose or talk about as I explain my my estrangement story. Um, If and when they elect to give me permission to share their stories, I will do so. Until then, they're not mine to tell, and I will not. Okay, so let's get on with my estrangement story. I wanted to begin um, with a little bit of background information, um, because I feel that it's, I mean, it's, It's a part of my story because it's in large part, um, these things um, played a big role in why the estrangement happened in the first place. Um, So I wanted to kind of delve into a little bit of that. Um, The first thing is um, my own childhood. Um, I came from a family of four, a mom, dad, and myself and a younger sister. And um, my parents divorced when I was five. My sister and I went and lived with my mom and my dad uh, saw us on the weekends. And right after their divorce, um, it wasn't long after that that I, my father um, was absent from my life for about three years or so, um, three or four years. And um, that I now know after therapy and delving into my own my own baggage, so to speak, that caused um, significant abandonment issues for me. So that was a, a piece of, of my life uh, moving forward. Um, the second thing is I experienced um, a bit of domestic violence in my life. Um, one of those experiences was at the hands of my a stepmother. Um, it was physical and mental um, abuse. And I was, I was a young child with the emotional abuse part, but the physical piece um, happened about a year before I became a mom. Um, and then the second part of that at domestic violence was uh, my first husband uh, was physical, physically, mentally, emotionally, and sexually abusive to me. So, um, and he was the father of my first daughter. Um, I did divorce him not long after she was born and, um, but that, that colored my world, um, in a, in a lot of ways. So I think it's important to understand that. And then the third thing is, um, the way that I parented, um, I was a very young mother. I became a mother at the age of 18. Um, and then my second child, my second daughter was born when I was 25. So I was, I was super young and, um, it wasn't until just, I don't know, within the last decade or so that I fully accepted the fact that I was a, in essence, a teen mom. I mean, I was quite mature for my age, but, uh, I was still young. I mean, 18 is super young. So for a, a, bit of time it was just the three of us you know for a long time for seven years it was just myself and my oldest daughter um and then when I had my second daughter you know it was just the three of us for a bit of time and so 
that also colored um, the way that I parented. I was a single mom um, and I had zero uh, help or support um, in all ways from their fathers. So uh, I will tell you that um, my ex-husband and my daughter's, my first daughter's father uh, was never in the picture. Um, he, he was just, he was never there. Uh, so that's, there was no support there. My second um, daughter, her father uh, was there for a bit of time. Um, he kind of floated in and out of our lives, um, but there was no support for me as a parent uh, regarding him. And then the other big piece that affected how I parented my children was that I worked for the most part of, of their childhood years. Um, I worked in public safety. I was a 911 operator and a police fire and EMS dispatcher, and I was a police officer. So that world also colored how I parented. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's kind of a little bit of, of the background. Um, so the, what I'm calling entitling this episode is the, the fracture and that fracture, um, with the relationship with my, my daughters, um, it had a lot of mini fractures before the big fracture. There were lots of um, red flags that I did not see as a red flag, um, didn't recognize it as a red flag. I just thought that those were challenges of the relationship that I had with my daughters. (laughs) Um, And just part of being a parent, I did not... I did not see that in their totality that it was um, inching us closer and closer to estrangement. So my estrangement experience, um, I like to say, started with like the perfect storm about six months before the estrangement actually happened. And um, within those six months, uh, I went through a lot of uh, different big, heavy things. Um, in my life. Uh, One of those was I um, partnered with someone and um, ended up having a subsequent uh, separation. And they, a month after our separation, found out they had cancer. And so I was dealing with a lot of emotional um, issues and challenges at that point in time, dealing with that. I was also dealing with um, a job that was extremely stressful. I was in management and um, was dealing with a lot of ethical issues at work um, that that seemingly was not a concern (laughs) for anyone other than myself. And so I was really struggling at work. I was struggling in my romantic relationship. And I was also on top of all of that, my oldest daughter uh, was pregnant with my grandson. And there was a bit of time that she was hospitalized during the pregnancy um, when we thought that he may come early. And so there was stress involved with that. And 
as a side note to that, not only was she my daughter who was pregnant, I come from a background of pregnancy and birth. And so I have a little, uh, little deeper knowledge of, of the um, complications and things that could potentially go wrong. And so I was really, really worried about that in the midst of all of that. So I had all of, all of that happening six months prior to the estrangement. Um, and as I'm dealing with those things, I'm, I'm super emotional. And um, anytime I'm around my daughters, I'm, there's, there are tears, I'm crying, I'm easy, easily um, brought to tears and things like that through, you know, not, not with intention, but just because of my emotional state at that point in time. And um, I will also say that I got myself back into therapy about um, four months pre-estrangement as well because of all the emotional things that I was dealing with in my personal life. I, I was back in therapy for that. So the estrangement occurred in January of 2016. And... Um, I, I remember, I remember the day that I think triggered the actual estrangement. And I say, I think because, um, my daughters and I have not had a conversation about what prompted the estrangement. Um, I've not heard directly from them about that. And so this is my, um, piecing of, of pieces together to, uh, for a timeline. And so I remember it was a Saturday and I was again, just in that emotional state. I was by myself. Um, my partner had moved out of our home and, um, we had just gotten through the holidays and I was just seeking solace. So I got on a ferry and went over to a, a island across from where I lived and um, to just take a drive and get try to get my head cleared. Um, and I was over there without cell reception for a couple of hours. And um, I remember getting back on the ferry to come back home and I got a phone call um, from my daughter, my oldest daughter. And actually it was a, it was a message, a voicemail, um, that she had left while I was out of cell reception. And basically the, um, the voicemail she left was asking me to seek inpatient treatment for my emotional state. And, um, and I remember thinking we had never had a conversation about that. Um, there had been conversations in, you know, in general about, wow, mom, you're so emotional, you know, what's, what's going on with you, that, that kind of thing, but never, at least from my perspective, not anything that indicated 
they were super, super concerned about me um, and thought that I needed to be hospitalized because of my emotional state. And so I was really taken aback by that, um, by that voicemail. And my, and, and again, from my police background, I know what involuntary commitment is. Um, and I know how family members can involuntarily commit a family member, um, under certain circumstances. And I also knew from years of therapy when I was younger, what that also could entail from that perspective. And I, I was just mortified. I, th- I thought, you know, my, my first initial reaction was how dare she, how dare she think that I'm so mentally unstable that I need to be hospitalized. Um, and so I went home and contemplated on that, sat with that. And I was just, I just, I, I didn't respond to her email. I was just, I just could not believe that that was the option <laughs> that was being presented to me by someone um, who was stating they cared about me and they were concerned. So I did not respond. And within about a week or so, um, I was completely cut off. Uh, I was unfriended on Facebook. I was blocked on Facebook where I could not see anything of any kind that they had posted. Um, I reached out and tried to call and my calls went to voicemail and they were never returned. Um, text messages were not answered, responded to. And it took me about a week to realize what what was actually happening. And even at that point in time, I didn't, I didn't have a... I didn't understand that that was estrangement. I was just in such a state of shock because I had always been in contact with my girls and not because um, we, we, I was never a mother who was, um, you know, in, in their business and talking to them multiple times every day. And, and, you know, I was not that over meddling type of mom, but I was a controlling mom. And so I, it was very foreign to me to not be able to have contact with them on some level. And so I was completely shocked. I remember thinking, why, why are they not answering me? What in the world has happened? And eventually I got to the place where I realized what was happening. And from there, um, it, it just seemed, it seemed like a spiral. Um, from there, uh, also as a side note, um, Shortly thereafter, mid-January, um, I ended up ending my uh, very stressful management position um, and cut my, my income was cut um, by almost half. And so I ended up having to move from the home that I dearly loved, the town that I was absolutely in love with, and um, had to relocate someplace I did not want to go. Um, because I could no, I could no longer afford my home. And um, in the midst of that, I, I did not tell my children where I was going because I couldn't tell them because they were not answering phone calls or text messages and things like that. So, so here I am, I find myself in the middle of this estrangement experience and um, the physical and psychological effects were absolutely 
profound. And um, I, I want to kind of go through some of those because I think it's important, number one, for estranged, currently estranged parents to understand that what you're experiencing is is completely normal um, when you have been alienated from from your children. Um, estranged from your children. There's, alienation is a bit different. Um, so I, I went through grief, I mean, <laughs> in all its stages um, for a, a long time. And I think on some level, I'm still going through that. Um, albeit not nearly as intense and and that type of thing, but I think on some level I'm still experiencing a bit of grief and loss. Um, Dr. Joshua Coleman is a psychologist, um, and he he talks about in his practice, which is, uh, he specializes in estrangement, um, to quote him, in my practice I've seen that it is not only distressing to be deprived of receiving comfort, but similarly to be deprived of the ability to provide comfort. And that was, um, I, I was not getting any sort of comfort from my children, which I had, had been used to. And I think that most parents on some level, you expect that and you re- you have received that on, on some level. And, um, you know, people, I, I didn't tell people about my situation. Um, I, I, in a large part of that, I downed a was shame didn't know that at the time, but it was. So I went through the grief um, in all the all of those stages of which anger is one, um, and um, guilt and um, the pleading and the begging and um, you know I'll do whatever you need me to do, want me to do whatever, um, and all of that was met with absolute with either silence or absolute resistance. Um, there were a few email exchanges, um, between myself and my children and, and they were not, not pleasant at all in the beginning. I also went through significant shame. Um, you know, especially as a mom, you know, if your own kids won't love and care about you, then who's, who will? Um, and, if your own kids disown you, what kind of a human being are you? Um, that I, I replayed that over and over and over in my head all day long, every day for months. Um, I thought that there was something inherently wrong with me as a person. And that's what shame does. Um, I, that I was not worth anything if my children did not love me. Um, I felt anger. I was so, so angry at them and that oscillated that um, oscillated between being so angry at them and wanting to just scream at them to just wanting to get on my knees and beg for their forgiveness for whatever it was that I had done. I mean, it was just back and forth between, um, from one extreme to the other. And I was, um, also angry at friends who were leaving me, right? Who were not checking in on me, who couldn't handle my intense grief, could not handle my anger, could not handle my sadness, could not handle my tears. And so they just went away. I mean, I lost all of my friends, all of them exited my life. 
um, there was no one there who called to check on me. There was no one there um, who was concerned if I got up in the morning. There was no one. None of my friends were there. And I was super angry at them. Um, I was also very angry with my um, daughter's in-laws and their families. Um, because I was like, how, if I, if, if I were in their shoes, I would be demanding that these, you know, my, my son-in-law or daughter-in-law would, you know, contact their parent. I, I couldn't understand how they were okay with this. And that again was my perspective, right? I had no idea of really knowing what they were saying to my, to my daughters. If anything, I didn't, I had no confirmation of that. I also felt guilt. Um, you know, I went through all the coulda, woulda, shouldas um, through through their their childhood years, and I beat myself up. I had there was no need for anyone else to beat me up because I I was quite good at that myself. Um, and this this brings up. This still is a thing for me today that I still grapple with is guilt over how I parented my children. Um, I replayed a constant loop of where did I go wrong? What did I do? How could I do it differently? How could I make up for the past? Um, And I couldn't. And not being able to fix something was foreign to me. I had always been an in-control in kind of person, um, in charge, fixing, correcting, making things work. Um, my careers as a um, 911 operator, you know, and, and police and fire dispatcher, and as a police officer, I was always in control and I was always able to either fix it myself or get somebody there to fix it. And this was a situation that no one could fix. No one. So, um, the guilt, guilt ate me up. And again, on some level, I'm still dealing with that today. Also, some of the physical things, um, I went through, uh, I had significant cognitive issues Um, simple daily tasks were difficult for me, um, concentration level, things like, um, writing a grocery list, (laughs) um, remembering to take the grocery list with me because I'm a, I'm a pen and paper kind of gal. And so, um, I would lose things, would not remember where I put them, um, at work, people would, you know, ask me to do things and I would forget them. And that's just was so out of character for me. Um, I had a good bit of memory loss, um, things like, you know, people's birthdays or, um, special occasions were missed, um, forgetting, you know, to pack things to go to work. I, and again, things just were not, that's just not how I typically operated. Um, so I also had, um, insomnia, solid restful sleep was impossible. Um, I could, I had dreams, I had nightmares, there were many nights I was up at, you know, I'd go to bed at 10, 1030 and I'd wake up and be up at two o'clock in the morning and up for the rest of the day. Um, it just wreaked havoc 
on my ability to get any sort of, of rest and um, sleep as a magic pill. It can it can cure a lot of a lot of what ails you, and I I was not getting um, good sleep. Also, I uh, I had an inability to stabilize my emotions. Um, I there were, I and you know I went from profound sad, sadness to anger loud outburst. I was either sobbing and wailing and crying or angry and screaming. Um, I was unable to tolerate minor little concerns and issues and things at work. Um, I made mountains out of molehills and that kind of thing. I remember um, being at the grocery store one day and um, I can still remember where I was actually standing in the grocery store. It was in, in between the frozen food section and the meat section. And um, I just stopped in the middle of the aisle and people were walking around me and um, towards me and behind me. And I remember just, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. I, I just was like, how could these people be going on with their lives when my kids won't talk to me and I started sobbing in the middle of the grocery store and not one soul stopped to inquire if I was okay and I got myself together pushed my cart to the front of the store to check out because I could no longer shop I couldn't remember what I was there for what I needed And I remember getting to the checkout line and this woman was in front of me with her grandson and he was sitting in the seat of the cart and she was bent down talking to him and they were having conversations. He must've been, I don't know, about two, I guess. And, and, uh, she was, you know, just very loving with him and, he would take and hold her face and he'd kiss her and I just started sobbing again um, because I didn't have that in my life. I was not permitted to see my grandchildren um, throughout that estrangement experience and um, and so my emotions were just all over the map. I, I just couldn't get it together. So... You know, then there was also just the withdrawal from society. I mean, again, I had said earlier, my my friends all left. Um, so there was no social engagement. There was no way for me to, quote unquote, get out of my, my world. And I couldn't get out of my world because anytime I stepped out of my house, I was looking at other people enjoying life, enjoying their families, enjoying their children, enjoying their grandchildren. And I had none of that. And I couldn't, it was too painful for me. I could not do it. So they're set in social isolation. And um, I, I just withdrew and didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. Uh, I went to work and I came home. Um, And that was the extent of my quote unquote, any sort of life. Um, And I (laughs) venture to say even today, that really wasn't a life that I was living. I was existing. So um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I had been in therapy um, 
and was trying to work on at, when I started therapy was trying to work on my relationship, my romantic relationship. And, and when that ended and then the estrangement occurred, I started, I switched the therapy into focusing more on the estrangement piece. And I remember walking in one day, uh, for therapy and, um, when the estrangement happened and I told my therapist and, and I said, you know, my daughter wants thinks I should be committed because I'm, I'm not emotionally sound right now. And she thinks I'm severely depressed and that I need to be on medication. And, um, my therapist, I'll, I'll never forget her, her look on her face. And she said in the most compassionate tone, she said, you're not depressed Crete. You're doing this thing called life and you're feeling all the feels. And I think that in that moment is when I felt like maybe I could be experiencing life again one day. Um, so uh, therapy was a space for me uh, to process the wild and varied emotions I had. Um, there for a bit of time, I was going to therapy twice a week. Um, and for the first three years, um, after the estrangement occurred, um, I went to therapy weekly. So, um, it was in therapy that I, uh, was held with compassion and empathy. Um, it was there that I was able to, um, and, and permitted to explore all of my emotions without having a single one of them judged. If I was crying, I was crying. If I was pissed off, I was pissed off. And all of it was welcomed. There were, there was at no point in time was I told I shouldn't be feeling this or it was wrong to feel that or I should be, you know, thinking about this and being more positive over here. None of that happened. Um, whatever I was feeling was permitted. Um, it was there that my feelings were validated and my emotions were validated. Um, it's where my worth and value as a person and as a parent was mirrored back to me. And that's something that a lot of estranged parents don't get. Um, so for that, uh, therapy was extremely valuable. And it was there that I also learned about the little T traumas and the effects of such. Um, from my own childhood, the abandonment and non-validation of my emotions um, played a huge role. I learned about the domestic violence and the traumas that that caused. And I also learned about the traumas um, my daughters experienced. And again, um, in, in their lives, um, I, that's not my story to tell. Those are not my stories to tell, so I won't. Um, but they both experienced traumas in their life. Um, and it was there where I learned about attachment needs and styles. And it was there that I also learned that I had codependent and in enmeshed relationships with my daughters that I was never aware of. I thought it was, I just loved them. Um, and it was, it was, while I did love them, um, it was not a healthy relationship. So therapy was my saving grace. And, um, it was hard work to get through all of that. Um, but I don't know where I would be today had it not been for therapy and finding the therapist that I have. 
Um, and for those, I, I get this question on occasion. Some people want to know, you know, how did I find my therapist? What, how did I know she was a good therapist? And like I said, I started seeing her before the estrangement occurred. So, um, it, I, I didn't seek her out specifically for estrangement. However, um, she did have experience with estrangement and, um, was able to, to talk to me about that. She's also a Jungian um, therapist, Carl Jung, and um, comes at therapy from that perspective. Um, she also is an IFS uh, therapist, which is internal family systems. Um, and so her perspective um, is something that I value immensely. Um, and, and it was, it was extremely helpful for me, not to say that it's going to be helpful for everyone out there, but, um, that's what helped me. So I'd like to kind of, um, wrap this up a little bit. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Feel free to email those to me at the estranged at gmail.com. Um, and I'm happy to answer those, um, on air as well. If you have specific questions, um, in closing, I want to say, um, that my estrangement experience, um, allows me to have immense empathy for estranged parents. I understand your pain. I get it. Um, I, I know, I know what that feels like. And I am, yeah, I know. Um, I will say that uh, today I, I hold zero resentment um, towards my daughters um, regarding the estrangement. Um, in fact, because of this experience, I think I love them more today than I did pre-estrangement. Um, and when I say love them more, I, perhaps maybe what I mean is um, I love them in a healthy way that feels so much better today than it did pre-estrangement. Um, and I know that my estrangement experience, um, taught me how to love more openly and deeply than I ever did before. Um, and that was because I allowed myself to be open to the healing process and did not stay stuck, um, in all the swirl uh, of the emotional the estrangement emotional storm. Um, also I am working on a uh, book, uh, a memoir regarding my estrangement experience. And the title of that book, um, is I taught her well. And, uh, I'm hoping that will be, um, that will come out in 2022, late 2022. Um, so this brings episode number two to a close. Uh, the continuation regarding the uh, reconciliation with my daughters will be on episode number three. And I hope that um, our time together was something that you felt, feel was well spent. And um, again, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, email me and let me know. Um, if you are an estranged parent or estranged adult child, and would like to share your story on the podcast, please reach out via email to me at theestrangedheart at gmail.com or by leaving uh, a voice message on the podcast at anchor.fm. 
If you prefer to share your story with me and have me share your story on the podcast, that's also an option. You can either be a guest on the show or if you would like to remain anonymous, but you want your story told, um, I'm happy to either meet with you um, via Zoom or to uh, have you email me your story and I'm happy to share that on on the, the podcast. Um, again, thank you for your time today and know that um, this was this was really hard for me today. Um, it's, it's the first time that I've publicly talked um, about as many details as I have and I appreciate you listening in and taking in taking in my story. Thank you. Until next time.